You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. We're going to talk about the red call of this monkey. This is the most endangered primate that's not an ape. Okay. What can they teach us? Primate species, these monkeys, just their social interactions, their familiar relationships, they're, they're just busybodies, right? And so when you think about ecotourism, everybody wants to see a monkey. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Angie, great pick this week. Uh, this is an alarming story. I'll just start it off. It's We're going to talk about the red call of this monkey. There's 18 species. Angie's going to really dive a little bit more deeper into it. This is the most endangered primate that's not an ape. Okay. Yeah, Chris, the most threatened group of African monkeys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So great pick this week, though. Uh, they're, They're amazing, and there's a lot to talk about with them. Yeah, Chris, I was just really inspired to learn more about red colobus and this conservation, critical conservation plight that they're in. And actually, I was reading a children's book called Can We Save Them, written and illustrated by Vicki Malone. And it's re- it's a really neat book, and I'll talk about it in the podcast a little bit later, but it goes through the alphabet of species that are endangered. And we get through the whole alphabet with me and the boys and I get to Z and I'm thinking, I'm excited to turn the page and see what, what species they are going to use for the letter Z. And lo and behold, it was Zanzibar red colobus. And I thought, huh, I mean, I, I just didn't think that it was that alarming. And then the author shares some of these statistics that you're talking about here about red colobus in general. And yes, I I, of course, immediately called you up and said, scratch the old or the new world monkey we were going to do. We need to focus on these red colobus. And uh, of course, there's a lot of species out there that need need our attention. But this week, hopefully you're going to learn a lot about the red colobus and we'll get you excited about their conservation. There are a lot of groups that are paying attention to this because it is so alarming. Uh, So that's some good news that uh, people are aware of this. There's a lot of research going into trying to protect their habitats and where the best ways to do that. But every single species of red colobus monkey is threatened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, seven 
critically endangered, seven endangered, and then the others are vulnerable. So uh, one of the things I want to talk about today, too, is the bushmeat trade, something that we've, we've talked a little bit about, but really not addressed head on. And I have some statistics there to share. Uh, before we get started, Angie had something she wanted to talk about, this book. But I just want to say thank you to our Patreon supporters. It means the world to us. So I'm just giving you a quick shout out. But this book really was amazing that you, so much so that we wanted to do a species you found in it, right? Absolutely. I mean, I was just really moved. It is a children's book. And so it's always fun to read new books with my kids. And of course, there are many thousands of animals and plants that are in danger of extinction all over the world. But this book focuses on 26 of those species, and there are uh, plants included. So that was really interesting for me to learn more about different plants that are also endangered. And from the letter A to Z. So it's really informative and interesting and, and fun to read along and learn why these rare and endangered species are so important, where they live, why they're in trouble, and of course, most importantly, what we can do to help them from disappearing. So please, if you have kids or if you're looking for a good present, uh, you want to check out Can We Save Them? An Alphabet of Species Endangered, written and illustrated by Vicki Malone, and it's published by Mascot Books, and it can be found at Target, on Amazon, and uh, Barnes & Nobles, anywhere where you can get a book. It's, it's it's pretty popular, which is why it came across my my desk. And yeah, we really enjoyed it. And most importantly, it helped educate me mm-hmm. all about the plight of the Zanzibar red colobus. No, oh, yeah, so it's doing its job. And, so thank and, you, Vicky. Thank yes, you, Vicky, thanks, Vicky. for uh, and it's beautifully, beautifully illustrated too, mm-hmm. which is of course always fun uh, when you're reading kids' books. Yeah, no, they are for sure, for sure, with my boys too. Now, describing these monkeys, I did do when I again back in another life when I was helping volunteer bebopping around the San Antonio Zoo, I did get to help a little bit with black and white colobus. Yes, that's my background too mm-hmm. uh, at Lincoln Park Zoo. That was my experience of hearing them calling in the morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I guess that's, yeah, I just wasn't really educated about red colobus. And so, um, yeah, I was, I learned a lot this week. And I, the looking at the different species, they just, to me, they look different than the black and white colobus. I, I don't know the, so have fun describing this. I mean, there's 18 <laughs> species. He, uh, yeah. Well, of course, Chris, since there are 18 different species, I'm not going to try to describe all of them because they do differ uh, in their coat and color patterns. But in general, they may have red heads, i.e. red colobus, uh, often white beard. Some of them have more blonde colored hair blonde colored heads uh, and bands. But I want to focus a little bit more on the Zanzibar red colobus since that's the one that was so inspirational to me. And the Zanzibar red colobus is going to have white around their black face and then red on the top of their head and then just a beautiful white on their belly with black running down their arms and shoulders. And then midway down their back is this bright orange, red, rusty brown color. And so they're just a beautiful primate. And as I was looking through the different species, which I found an awesome graphic, I mean, some have more like completely red with just black high points on their shoulders. Some have a lot less red and just have like a red cap and then black and white in their bodies. 
So there, it really runs the gamut of colors depending on how much red, orange they have in their bodies. But most all of them, except for a few species, have have a white underside and most of the beautiful color patterations are across their shoulders and back. And then the tail is typically brown, red, sometimes much blonder. It can be black. And in one species, it is white. So (laughs) it's very, yeah, it definitely, it definitely varies a lot. But what does remain consistent for all of the species of red colobus is that they have a stump thumb long tails, which they use for balance and posture, really long hind limbs, which make them leap from tree to tree, long fingers, which help them hook onto branches when they're moving also from tree to tree. But yes, we'll we'll do everyone a favor and put this really cool graphic I found on our show notes so everybody can pick their favorite color uh, pattern of red colobus monkey and Yes, I tend to prefer the Zanzibar because that's what opened me up uh, hmm. to learning more about the red colobus. Well, and I, I really want to get to Zanzibar. That's like I have I... like two slides on Zanzibar. Okay, okay, we'll wait, we'll wait. I, <laughs> I totally. Yeah. When we were looking at like honeymoon areas, which we, you know, we got to yeah. wait till we can afford to travel again. It's so out of expensive, but we were looking at uh, going to Tanzania and then going to Zanzibar for a couple of days and then flying back to New Zealand. So one of these days, yes. Yes. Well, since we're on on the topic of Zanzibar, mm-hmm. Chris, I was so close. I did fly to Tanzania, and but I flew to Arusha because I spent a week and a half uh, collecting data on wildebeest in Tarangari National Park in western Tanzania. So I did not fly into Dar es Salaam, which is, mm-hmm. of course, uh, the capital of Tanzania. And that would have been like the gateway to Zanzibar. So I but but now that I'm back across the world from there, I'm like, that was so stupid. Like I should have. So you know, I mean, I was working I mean, at the time. I mean, the zoo was gracious enough to let me take a couple of weeks off and mm-hmm. do this. And so, I mean, obviously I could have just stayed in Africa and traveled around mm-hmm. and, uh, for months and years on end. But. The trip was only a couple of weeks. I, I did spend some time in Zambia with John and Allison doing rhino stuff, visiting her. So I had to pick. You have to pick and choose, right? Yeah, and you do. I, you do. But now that I was learning about Zanzibar this week, I'm kicking myself for not picking uh, Zanzibar. Oh. So just to, for our listeners out there that aren't familiar, it's an island off the east coast of Tanzania. People probably know it for being famous for its spices. Uh, it's a really major part of Zanzibar's economy. But the other thing, too, to keep in mind is Zanzibar is not just one island. It's actually an archipelago of islands uh, located in the Indian Ocean. And the total population is 1.3 million people, which I thought I didn't really expect that. It's a big uh, island, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But learning about Zanzibar, too, is besides uh, being home to the critically endangered Zanzibar red colobus monkey, there is also the Zanzibar serviline gennet, which would be fun to cover. Mm-hmm. And the most likely extinct Zanzibar leopard, but recent potential sightings. So I thought of you. I, yeah. that's, I, know, I know you love those. Just some really cool creatures on this island. In fact, the Zanzibar serviline gennet wasn't discovered until in the 1990s. Oh, wow. And, Wow. It was only first photographed in 2003. 
Yeah, we're still finding new species all the time. Right? I mean, all so, the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, another last fun fact about Zanzibar is Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of Queen, was born in Zanzibar. And yeah. John and I are huge Queen fans. Well, it's it was uh, so the the perfect ideal trip was to for anybody looking for a safari recommendation. This is one I want to do. Maybe we'll do an all creatures one in a couple of years. Is, well, I know uh, Corbin's yeah. hosting one for yeah. a lot of his followers and his friends so oh he's hosting yeah. a trip okay well maybe angie mm-hmm. and i will host a trip in a few years that's our that's our goal for the podcast uh but i think it was it was i forgot where we flew in but it was getting up to the serengeti it was looking at going to nagorogoro crater which is one of my on my bucket list to go there and then coming back at the end of the safari and spending two nights in zanzibar on the sands there and then fly home so not cheap <laughs> So I'm going to save those pennies and dollars and uh, over time. Yeah. It's a dream vacation. Uh, but to see the the Zanzibar red colobus would be wow because they there is so few of them. I mean, less than 3,000 left in the wild, you know, could be as few as 1,400. And one thing I did want to say about the colobus size, they're a little bit bigger than capuchins. You know, people see the black and white capuchins, right? So... The red colobus on average body, head to body, 26 inches. So like two feet tall. Those tails are up to 30 <laughs> inches or eight centimeters. So really long tails, like you said, that that are not prehensile, unlike New World monkeys, which we'll talk a little bit later. And weigh, you know, the females closer to the, the 10, 11 pounds or five kilograms. Males probably up there, 20, 24 pounds, 10, 11 kilograms. So not the the largest, they're not given size, but, you know, not tiny little monkeys. I mean, they're, they're a good size. And like Angie said, we just talked about Zanzibar. So if you start on the east side of Africa, go all the way across into Western Africa, that's where you're going to see little spots of colobus, red colobus monkeys in Africa. So this central part so going from tanzania kenya across into the congo and and that that region of central africa is where you see a lot of species of of colobus and then getting into the ivory coast guinea that that part of africa there's some colobus there but again you know half or half more than half 14 of the 18 species are endangered or critically endangered so their numbers are are very small their range, you know, that's where they should range, but they've, they're now in these small pockets. They're facing a lot. I mean, a lot. That's why I was not aware of their peril. And I'm so glad we're covering them this week because it really opened my eyes. Wow. Okay. You know, we, we focus on the bigger species or, or the ones we more, hear more about, but here's one that we haven't heard a lot about. And wow, they're on the brink, you know, so like rewild, I was looking at the stuff that they're doing. Uh, you know, those scientists we've had on the podcast before, Barney Long and, and all of them that work in that organization, uh, fighting to save these animals. So so a bunch of them. Now, specifically the Zanzibar, pretty restrictive, right? I mean, because there's a lot of people there. It's it's yeah. I mean, it's a bigger island. It's not massive. It's not New Zealand size. It's, you know, much right. Well, but, well, and there's lots of islands. And so the Zanzibar colobus is going to live on the main island of Zanzibar known as Unjuja. 
I think I'm saying that right. And I apologize to our, our Zanzibar listeners if I'm not. But they also live on the islands of Uzi and Vundwi as well. So a few of the different islands. But yes, I mean, on those islands, they are pretty restrictive. They prefer coastal thickets or bushes, mangrove swamps, but they'll hang out in farmlands if they have to or secondary forests. That's, I think, you find throughout other species too. So, you know, primarily arboreal, uh, the humid forests. That's why that they're this part of Africa where it's mm-hmm. warmer for them and, uh, you know, all pretty similar environments. And kind of switching, transitioning to, to why care, I mean. I think we opened with it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <there's>, <laughs> it's like, you know, you're going to talk a little bit about this. They are prey species to leopards, which Angie has yet to see one in the wild, and chimpanzees. You know, you're going to talk mm-hmm. about that a lot. I, you see a lot of that with the colobus being mm-hmm. preyed upon by chimps. And I mean, they're, they're seed dispersers, you know, they're eating plants. You know, again, a, just another critical piece of the food web. Oh, absolutely, Chris. And I, I mean, red colobus in general as you mentioned, are seed dispersers. And so they're, they will definitely help maintain healthy forests wherever they live. And the other thing to keep in mind about red colobus in general is they're like an umbrella species. So the areas where the red colobus monkeys live overlap with tons of other species of primates and other animals and where they live on mainland Africa. So if you protect the red colobus, monkey in their forest, you're going to protect so many other species and basically act as an umbrella, right? But there was a cool paper in 2012 that actually identified the red colobus monkey as a Cinderella species. And that term was new to me. Mm-hmm. So what a Cinderella species is, is that it's currently overlooked. But once people learn about the red colobus and see how gorgeous they are with their different coat patterns and just beautiful colors... It can make conservation more appealing for that area and help con- and help conserve not only the red colobus, but the other species that live in those forests and that forest habitat in itself. So red colobus, the Cinderella species. Mm-hmm. How cool yeah. is that, right? Yeah. No, it is. That is cool. I, that's, I have not heard that term. So there yeah. you go. That's the new one. And then if you're looking at just the Zanzibar red colobus, uh, because they're on an island and have such a specific niche in their ecosystem, there's specific plant growth and flowering patterns that their seed dispersal helps with. And so if we lose the Zanzibar red colobus, researchers are concerned that several other species of plants could also be lost. Oh, it, it is. It, it's the weakening of this food web. And, and, we're, and we're seeing it around the world, but especially in this parts of Africa, you know, it's, it's uh, all the different species that are all hurting and you're right it's just going to have a a cascading effect up and down the uh the food chain or, or web oh yeah and the other thing to think about with this cinderella species is that e- ecotourism is really important in africa especially mm-hmm. now that bans have been lifted after covid and things like that and no the red colobus is not necessarily a mountain gorilla or some other highly sought after primates. But in the same instance, they are very beautiful. And I've been blessed enough to see old world monkeys, new world monkeys in the wild and they're or under human care. 
there is nothing more entertaining to watch than a troop of monkeys. I mean, they're, they're just not, I mean, I, we know I love hoofstock. They like mm-hmm. to munch grass. And, and then, of course, the lions would just lay there and do nothing. Boring. Primate species, these monkeys, just their social interactions, their familiar relationships, they're, they're just busybodies, right? And so when you think about ecotourism, everybody wants to see a monkey. And then you have this story of the red colobus. And so I think there's a lot of potential there for that. Well, I know when I get to Zanzibar and, you know, I'll, I'll be getting some some suntan. But after that, I'll definitely going to do a nature walk and not only see the birds, but I want to see these. Uh, you know, now it, it's it's a species I want to see in the wild and I'll make it. And there's, I didn't do them justice. They are stunning. I mean, their mm-hmm. coat patterns are just beautiful. Okay. Now, one of the pressures that the colobus are under is the bushmeat trade. And we've talked about the bushmeat trade off and on, but I've never really jumped into it and kind of explained it a little bit. And for the listeners that aren't very aware of it, the the bushmeat trade is the commercial hunting and selling of wild animals for food. Okay. Now, obviously, since the dawn of time for Homo sapiens, we've hunted to survive, right? And really, it's the illegal bushmeat trade that is really hurting a lot of endangered species. This isn't about hunting. This is about the illegal hunting and especially of endangered species. Because obviously, there's people that do hunt that's different uh, with, with deer tags, things like that. And then there is indigenous peoples around the world that depend on hunting for food. You know, the Inuits in Alaska still hunt whales and seals and walrus to survive. There's tribes in Africa that still hunt to survive. South America, Asia. And what's changed is as we've become more, quote unquote, civilized, but agriculture, right, has changed where we have domesticated animals that we no longer need to go out and spend energy trying to hunt to survive. But there are still cultures and societies around the world that their whole lives depend on that. Okay. That is not what the bushmeat trade is. That It's not hunting of wild animals. It is the illegal hunting of wild animals. And to summarize all this, I found, you, you might know about this author. I, I think most people know her name, Jane Goodall. Just a little bit. <laughs> a, a hero bit. of mine yes. and yours. We got yes. to meet in person a few yes. years back uh, uh, and need to get her on the podcast for yes. sure. That is a major goal of ours. And I did get to spend five minutes with her and listen after one of her talks. Uh, fascinating. One of my heroes since I was a little boy. And she, this was, you know, a few years back, she wrote the illegal commercial bush meat trade in Central and West Africa. And so she she breaks this down a little bit more. So really, the bushmeat trade took off in the 1980s. And this is when Central Africa or this Western parts of Africa started to be exploited, the resources being harvested. Really, logging companies have came in to, uh, to harvest wood. And then that brought in mine development, brought in oil development. So what this did is it opened up these parts of the forest that were very hard to get to. So all of these logging roads and everything 
allowed people to to really penetrate deeper into the Congo and other parts of Africa where it was really, really tough to go. So she's obviously doing this from the chimpanzee point of view. Mm -hmm. This is why chimpanzees are in so much trouble now. These areas were inaccessible to people before. Now they are. So now hunters, these bushmeat hunters, will use these roads now to get into parts of the forest to hunt and trap wild animals. Then they would take the meat, put them on logging trucks. I read stories where they threaten the logging trucks or the trucks, you take this into town, deliver it here or else. But they've they've traced bushmeat, you know, not only the big cities of Africa, but even overseas to African communities. So these animals are are being killed illegally, harvested, the meat harvested, dried or packaged, and now they're finding it, you know, through the black market being shipped everywhere. Jane writes about why, you know, not only is this a massive danger to the animals, right? And I've got some some statistics here in, in a second. You know, obviously it's causing extinction. This is one of the reasons the red colobus are in so much trouble. But it's also a massive danger to us as people. And one of the things, and I've studied this before in past life before I went to graduate school, but diseases, <laughs> Ebola, right? So Ebola virus is one of the scariest viruses known to man. It's a hemorrhagic fever. It basically liquefies your cells. And so you die within a matter of days if you get Ebola. Most people do. Depends on the strain. Obviously, there's different strains, but very, very scary disease. And right now, what we think happens is the Ebola is transmitted by fruit bats that the bat feces contaminate fruit that the chimpanzees eat or gorillas or bonobos and they carry this virus then humans will eat the meat of these animals and get ebola right so that's a very scary disease that that a few years ago there was a outbreak in the US i remember that in dallas texas and people had ebola i think most people survived thankfully because it wasn't as deadly a strain the other one's hiv that causes aids and this has affected my own family you know, without getting into too many details, but, you know, this was a virus that originated in chimpanzees and they think, you know, eating the meat somehow, you know, or the interaction with the blood somehow infected the first human and then it spread from there. Monkeypox has been making it up in the news. African squirrels, yeah, Mm -hmm. carry it. And so eating African squirrels, that's a bush meat that people eat has transmitted monkeypox. So now that we've all kind of are still in the end of this pandemic of COVID, realize how these viruses can be such a danger to us. So that's a that's a reason the bushmeat trade is 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 can be a little bit scary. Now, just looking at at data, some of this is hard to 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 really estimate because a lot of it's underground. But last year, it's estimated just in the Democratic Republic of Congo that over 1 million tons of bushmeat went to the markets. That's too many. Way, 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 way. 
And right now it's there's in that part of Africa, Central West Africa, roughly 5 million tons of bushmeat is consumed every year. So Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda. So it's, it's a massive, massive problem. Now, when we look at what is in the bushmeat, that's not just monkeys. Okay. So let's, let's, what do we consider bushmeat? 81% of the bushmeat was ungulates. Okay. Those are Angie's favorites, the hooves, the horns, you know, zebra or gazelle or all these different types of ungulates. I, I've got a, had some data on that. 7% are primates. So this is where our red colobus fall in. 5% rodents, 3% birds, 3% carnivores, and 1% pangolins. Okay. Now, pangolins are the number, still the number one trafficked animal in the world. That is for their scales, not so much their meat. Even though they do eat their meat, it's the scales that are nothing but fingernails, keratin. But again, there's this myth. It's, it's medicine, which it's not, right? We've covered that. All right. Of the ungulates, dictics were one of the largest. So I know that's a species we want to cover in the future. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Buffalo, impalas, wildebeest, bush pigs, warthogs, like I said, zebras, gazelles, elands, hartebeests. Those were the most hunted for the bushmeat. And I couldn't get data on all of the monkey breakdown, but in one market in the Ivory Coast, uh, researchers estimated, they, they did a study Every year in this one market in this city, there was about 9,500 primates were sold, and that included some Western red colobus monkeys. Okay, I saw pictures of it. Like there was red colobus dead there to be sold and to be eaten. Now, the one thing I did mention, whew, this is probably over a year ago during one of our episodes in Africa, was the data coming from Africa was, you know, rhino poaching was down during the height of COVID because of a lot of transport avenues were shut down, not as many ships, airplanes, things like that. I think that's picking back up from some of the things I've been seeing across the news. It'd be good to to talk to our, some of our friends that are over there in Africa and find out where we are uh, going into 2024 with rhino poaching and ivory poaching. Uh, but the one thing that they did know went up definitely was the bushmeat trade. And... One of the quotes was, the COVID-19 pandemic exasperated poaching of wildlife for bushmeat due to reduced presence of law enforcement, because again, people were being isolated, couldn't travel, and also just worsened economic conditions for communities. So high food prices, supply lines were, were strained, and ecotourism totally died overnight, you know, with a lot of this. So a lot of money dried up, so people lost their jobs. What are they going to do, you know, to survive? They're going to go and 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 hunt right. to feed their families. Yeah. I mean, I, I I I see why. Absolutely. So to end this, what's the fix? Well, Jane, good all obviously pushes ecotourism. So that is a big one. Uh, the other one that she talked a lot about was education. We've seen this in, in a lot of our conservation heroes that we interview, getting locals involved in conservation. Yes, that very is very important. Mm -hmm. That is proving to be probably the best strategy. So going into these villages of Africa 
in other parts of the world, empowering the locals to, to preserve their wildlife, seeing the cash flow of people like me. One day I will get to Africa to spend as much money as I can there to help support them and help support conservation. That is one thing. The other thing that, that Jane does, she has this roots and shoots program. That's, that's pretty amazing. And what she talks about is taking these, these bushmeat hunters and giving them an alternative source of income. So one thing she's doing is teaching them how to farm through this program, raise chickens, ducks, guinea fowl, that can be a source of, of protein for them, but also a source of income. Yeah, so, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's finding these things, not bulldozing these forests to put a bunch of cattle out there. That's not going to help these people, but just doing small plots of land where they can raise some crops, raise some animals, bring some income in for their families, that that could be one way to go. So overall, this is something I'm definitely going to revisit more, especially if we, when we do like the Dick Dick and some of these other ungulates in Africa. But that is what's going on with the bushmeat trade. It is still a big problem. It's been an issue for, like I said, since the 1980s. It's really one of the driving force for a lot of these species going extinct. Uh, it's just this exploitation, this loss of habitat on top of being hunted for food. Yeah, Chris, we definitely have to keep our eye to, and it would be interesting to look at some of the pre-COVID, post-COVID data and and see how we're, how we're doing. Are the numbers increasing or decreasing as we look to some of these more threatened and endangered species? For sure, for sure. Now, I, I can't wait to get to evolution. Again, I love primate evolution because, again, it, it, that's us. This that's is where right. we started. This mm-hmm. is where we all started. So uh, before I get there, let's just take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back, Angie, and everybody else. <laughs> so... Jumping into evolution, I'm just dorking out on this all the time. Very quickly, we know primates are mammals, 5,500 species. We've covered 50, 60 of them. We've got a long way to go. The order's primates, that's us and the red colobus. So over 600 species and subspecies and increasing because we're discovering different subspecies of a lot of these primates. What I love about our family, you know, we have the humans, the great apes, the lesser apes, this is the gibbons, then the monkeys, which is the old world and new world, and then our favorite, because we, we do we do tend to gravitate towards this one too, the persimians, our lemurs, our, our 
you know, IIs and tar- oh, we've got a bunch in there that we, we still have to have to cover. Now for the red colobus uh, specifically, so that's just the, the, the general picture of primates. So when we go from primates, the suborder is haplorhini, the dry-nosed primates, and there's about 305 species. Again, it, this is a massive, the old world, new world fall into this, you know. So basically it's all of the monkeys and apes and tarsiers. The other suborder, we've talked about this before, is the sepsarhiri. That's your lemurs, lorises, galagos. Okay, now for the colobus, the family is Cercopithecidae. So that's the old world monkeys. It's actually the largest primate family where we have 138 species. So there's a lot in here. This is our baboons. I go back to our mandrel. That was such an Mm -hmm. amazing episode so long ago. I should probably re-release that at some point. Baboons, we, there's some baboons in there we got to cover. Uh, the guineans, uh, the swamp monkeys, so many, and our colobuses. Now, the subfamily is colobinae. So you, it's very interesting. You actually have an African group. So the, the black and white colobus, the red colobus, and the olive colobus. Then you have the langers. So we, we've talked about some of these. We did do the, the cat ball langer. Very early on. Early, in yes. And a wonderful early. interview. Yeah, that was my very first interview. Oh, I love that interview. Niaga Leonard. It's my yes. very first one a long time mm-hmm. ago. Yeah, he's. I, I should check in and see how he's doing. So anyways, a proboscis monkey. That's one of is that the big nose. We got to do that one at some point too. So uh, a big subfamily. And then looking at the genus for the red colobus is Pilocolobus, Pilocolobus. And like we said, there's 18 species. We've got the Zanzibar that we're talking about. The Miss Waldron's red colobus, I'm going to mention later on, was thought to be extinct. Now they think they might have found small, small a group of them uh, in the Ivory Coast. The Major Delta red colobus, just a whole bunch of them. I think I'm looking at that graphic. I think it's through IUCN or it might have been Rewild. That shows where they're at. The ashy red colobus, all of them just beautiful, beautiful animals. So that breaks them down. Primate evolution, I mean, we go back, you know, the first mammals 120 million years ago. The earliest primates after that asteroid meteor hit the Earth, that's when we start uh, emerging. You know, we're, we're like the early prosimians, like today's lemurs. We survived that mass extinction, you know, emerged from there, and that's where we started to radiate out because uh, there was not much to kill us at the time dinosaurs were, were gone. What's interesting, Angie, is when you really look at old world monkey evolution, we don't know a lot. You would think we would, but we really don't. Um, and that's because the oldest fossil we have of old world monkeys only dates back about 12 million years. And it's two isolated teeth. So I did a little bit more digging because I had more time this time. I'm like, okay, old world monkey evolution. And, and that's all we have. Now, we, we can estimate old world monkeys date back 65, 70 million years ago, you know, when we emerged. But we don't have a lot of fossil record, interestingly, with primates. And some of that could be 
economic where in the US you have a lot of amateur anthropologists or professional ones out there digging up bones in their backyards. So we, we got to get more to Africa and find more of these bones to, to, to get a bigger picture. Now, we do know New World monkeys split from Old World monkeys about 40 million years ago. And that's about it, like as far as knowing about bones. So we don't know colobus monkeys, you know, they probably changed quite a bit in the last few hundred thousand years, you know, where you're getting all of these different subspecies radiating out. Just through DNA analysis, their their closest relatives are the other colobus, obviously, and then you can go into some of the leaf monkeys or the proboscis monkey, and then and then offset the the baboons and rhesus macaques are are somewhat closely related, but but that's about it. Like we don't have a bigger picture, which is surprising sometimes with these these animals. Yeah, Chris, I found a little bit on the Zanzibar red colobus, and it's just thought that the population that's in Zanzibar has believed to have been there since on that island after the sea levels rose towards the end of the Pleistocene epoch. Mm-hmm. And that just looking at other groups of red colobus on mainland Africa, that they've been basically genetically isolated since the Pliocene. Yeah. So yeah. a long yeah. time. Uh, but by having all this genetic data uh, on the Zanzibar red colobus, there's no evidence at this point that there's, there was, there's ever been a bottleneck in the species. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's good. They, they seem genetically diverse and potentially can handle disease and things like that. And so it's definitely a species worth really putting our efforts into keeping the numbers up and, and trying to save. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so mo- so so getting to some physiology, and one thing I really want to talk about is the digestion. I dorked out on that a little bit. I, I figured <laughs> yeah. you might have too. Yeah, I figured you probably did too. Uh, just some facts. Red colobus, on average, 20 years in the wild, 30 years under human care. You mentioned their their hands. I mean, they can leap pretty far, about seven meters or up to, to 25 feet. That hand is is really unique, right? That thumb. Yeah, it's really it's like missing or a stump. Yeah, it's a stump, but they mm-hmm. have these really long fingers that allows them to to grasp and swing through the trees. So it's almost like a hook, you know, is mm-hmm. what I was reading, uh, because they do spend a lot of time up in the trees. Just some differences I noted: old world, new world monkeys. The old world monkeys think of Africa, Asia. New world monkeys, the Americas. Old world monkeys, when you think of monkeys medium to larger, like baboon size to the colobus size, new world monkeys, you're probably looking at just a little bit smaller than a colobus down to our little tamarins and things like oh, that. They're, yay, they're so, tamarins, oh, yeah. So Gold lion tamarins. That's how I started studying behavior. <laughs> we need to we need to cover another tamarind soon. They're so dang cute. Oh my god. Cotton top, please. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, old world monkeys, eight molar, premolars, new world monkeys, 12. You know, to- fingernails and toenails with the old world monkeys, no fingernails in the new world monkeys. Uh, so, you know, there, there's some other differences too there, but really the prehensile tails, the, one of the easiest ways to tell the difference, meaning the old world monkeys, the tail just hangs. It's not used to grasp or hang 
on trees. It just it hangs off their 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 bottom, right? They use yeah, it. Yeah, it helps balance yeah. for sure, yeah. but it's not used as a gripping tool. Yeah, like you see with some of these New World monkeys where they hang on tight with their tails and swing off their tails, things like that. Yeah. Now, like I said, talking about physiology differences in monkeys, because that's what we we really dork out about is the physiology. So the diet of red colobus, it, it's mainly like they're, they just eat plants. They're like an ungulate. They just chomp leaves, flowers. I mean, some fruit, obviously, but mostly leaf eaters. Yeah, they're really adapted for this entirely vegetarian and highly varied diet. So they've evolved to become really good. Yes. They, be, they have evolved to become really good at breaking down all this vegetation, some of it being toxic. Yeah, toxic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, red colobus are known to eat clay or charcoal mm-hmm. a little bit. And researchers think that might help combat some of the toxins that are in the leaves. Yep. Well, I torqued out a little bit on this. I figured you'd appreciate this a little bit because I know you... The nutritionist in you, because that was part of your PhD and, you know, trying to help save white rhinos. You were, you were so into the nutrition. So I found a study, Colobine for Stomach Anatomy and Diet, and Matsuda and others. So it was uh, Japan and then researchers in the U.S. and Malaysia were looking at the stomachs of colobus monkeys. Now, the red colobus has a four-chamber stomach, which is really unique for a primate. So, like you said, they have this large sack. One of those is a prioscus, which is almost like a rumen in a cow. Right. Did you read that? I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, my God, this is so torquey. Yeah, it was so great. I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, Chris, it's incredible. This really separates them from other old world primates, it's really unique. And it, I mean, it's important because this four chamber stomach does help them break down and extract nutrients from all the plant and cellulose material that they're eating. And basically too, it enables a much longer digestion period. Mm -hmm. That way when they are eating not super nutritious plants that they have more time to be able to extract the nutrients uh, and and get more bang for their buck, if you will. So yeah, when you think of primate, you don't think of a four gut fermenter at all. Mm-hmm. No, uh, no. And so for me, that was just really cool. And it, it, the, it this really distinguishes the colobus monkeys from other old world primates. So, yeah, and similar to other and other ruminants that Chris and I always talk about that usually have hoofs and horns and things like that. And I don't necessarily know if it's entirely related to this foregut, four-chamber rumination-like stomach that the red colobus have, but it's been reported that burping in each other's faces is a common form of play when <laughs> red colobus, when young ones are playing together. And I thought, huh, I wonder if that's because of this this four-chamber stomach and that they're maybe burping up extra gases. And yeah, so the nerdy scientist in me wanted to know more about this burping behavior, but it also made me giggle, giggle because it reminds me of my two boys. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I think it's yeah. hilarious. And I, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, it's hard for John and I not to laugh too because it is hilarious. But I'm more like, I'm like, okay, this, 
there's certain places where it's appropriate to burp and certain places where, <laughs> where it's mm-hmm, not. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, there's there's silly boys. And so, yeah, really, really interesting. And then the other kind of cool fact with nutrition and red colobus is that they actually have specialized salivary glands, which are larger and also produce more saliva mm-hmm. to help start breaking down these leaves and uh, just kind of the stuff that's hard to hard to digest before it even hits the stomach. And it's not a, it's not a, like fruit is very energy dense. I guess you can say it's a lot of sugars, mm-hmm. quick energy where a lot of these plants, they do get a lot of energy pulled out of it, but it, it it's not easy. So they, they sometimes call them lazy or sluggish with the colobus, which harkens back to when I think of panda bears, you know, <laughs> they, this, they have this carnivore digestive system, but they eat bamboo which isn't very dense, energy dense. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they're lazy necessarily. They're as lazy as a panda is, but they, uh, the red cobblers definitely tend to have these long bouts of inactivity. And researchers don't know if that's basically a result of having to work so hard to extract energy from their food, or maybe it's because they have a buildup of carbon dioxide and methane gases that stem from this diet and the way that they process the food. So yeah, I mean they're 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 maybe not as active as some of the other primates that you would see, but but they are highly noisy, highly sociable animals. Mm-hmm. And so red colobus in general are are going to be diurnal. They're up in trees, moving around, looking for food, being social during the day. And they're definitely up in the trees for the most part. And the way that they're built, they just leap from tree to tree and uh, move pretty gracefully through the canopy of the trees. And another behavior I thought was pretty cute with the red colobus is that they have been observed in the canopy when they're not foraging, trying different strategies to drink water. So they'll try licking from tree holes to extract out any water that might be like in a, in a little hole that's formed in a tree, or they will lick the rain or dew off of leaves as well as off of rocks. So what's interesting is this behavior is learned from troop members from one to the other for times when water is either hard to find or they're not able to move around a lot, like their movements restricted because their habitat's fragmented or something like that. Mm-hmm. So really, really clever monkeys, which isn't shocking, right? We've talked a lot about primate intelligence on this podcast. And Chris, another really cool behavior that has been observed in red colobus, I just thought was super fascinating, is that during this time where young red colobus will need to go out and find their own, a new troop to live with, especially males. And, it, and that can be tough, right, depending on how many monkeys are in the area and things like that. So uh, red colobuses have been observed basically adapting their behavior and joining troops of green monkeys that are living nearby the potential red colobus troop that they want or hope to join. So researchers almost speculate that it's like almost like they're spying and trying to get a little bit closer to the troop that they want to join, but they can't, so they just hang out with the green monkeys instead. So really fascinating, complex 
social, the, just the social dynamics to do that and to, and to, and to make it work. Right. It's just, it's just really, really incredible. And then of course, like most primates, when uh, the red colobus are hanging out with each other, there's lots of social behaviors that they engage in play and grooming. They basically will wrestle and bounce off branches. So pretty fun to watch for the most part as far as all the different social affiliative and agnostic behaviors. But very vocal, right? I mean, <laughs> you said they're vocal. I mean, burping at each other. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> yes, they definitely burp at each other, but yeah, really vocal. And the Zanzibar red colobus, for instance, will uh, primarily make vocalizations such as barks, wheats, shrills, yelps, squeals. I mean, you definitely know who's dominant, who's not, who's interested in a female, who's a mom looking for her infant, who's not. So really social, very vocal. And then the Zanzibar red colobus also has distinct calls rather to indicate when they're alone or if they're feeling threatened. So several, several ways to help the troop understand, help each other understand what the need is for sure. And that, and that's just vocalization. Yeah. And I know, I know monkey behavior is one of your things. It's just fun to watch. It'd be fun to study. So, but switching now to, to reproduction, I mean, obviously their numbers are so low. So what do we know about that? Yeah, Chris, well, in general, red colobus monkeys breed throughout the year. And as far as the Zanzibar red colobus goes, we don't know a lot about their reproductive cycle in the wild. They're difficult to find and track because they migrate around depending on where the best food is. And there doesn't seem to be a distinct birth season with the Zanzibar red colobus, but there's basically just studies lacking. And it does seem like most births occur sometime during the wet season, but still, we, we need more boots on the ground to learn the distinct variations of the Zanzibar red colobus and all of their uh, reproduction dynamics. But it's thought that in general, they're polygonous. And, and because of the dominant hierarchy of the social primate, uh, it'll determine which males have at breeding access to the females. Hmm. So, and how all those interactions shake loose depends on the particular species and how many of them are left because when they don't have these huge troops of 20 to 80 members uh, and they have these smaller dynamics for some of these more endangered and critically endangered populations, it, the, how they interact with one another is changing, right? So, but it has been recorded that for courtship, it'll typically be the dominant male courting and mating with the females in his in his troop and his social group. But what's fascinating with red colobus is when the male and female are actually breeding, when they're in the copulation act, they're often harassed by other members in the group. And this harassment can include grabbing, twisting the male's hand, slapping the male, climbing up on his back. Just a whole bunch of, I mean, that's a great harassment. I can't think of any other word for than that. Uh, and it does depend, once again, on the exact species, how often they will harass other males that are breeding. But researchers basically speculate that this is just a form of competition that over time the red colobus have, have learned to deal with. And, um, and yeah. I, I love 
courtship is slapping like hey it's just i mean like uh, give them some privacy jeez louise right my gosh so those darn monkeys always monkeying around right yeah always 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 Uh, but when a female red colobus does become pregnant her gestation can range from about four and a half to six months depending on on the species and when the infant is born they have a different coat pattern that's much more gray in color and without any red on it as compared to the adult. And so when they're about two to three months of age, that's when oftentimes the red fur on their head will start to turn and they'll start looking more like the adult. And pretty much from the minute they're born, a red colobus infant is going to cling, use those long fingers and long legs, strong legs to cling to mom's underbelly and just hang out with her. And um, the infant is completely dependent on her and stays very, very close to their mom until they're about three to four months of age. And once they start being brave enough and strong enough to, to leave her side, the red colobus infant will start engaging with playing with other, other infants. And that happens around four to six months in age, depending on, once again, the species and the individual behavior of the infant. The male red colobus, well, he doesn't contribute too much to the offspring development other than basically helping protect the troop from predators. And researchers believe that the red colobuses are typically weaned around 20 months of age. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's a pretty big energy demand and yeah. time suck. Mm-hmm. And so with that, it's estimated that the breeding interval is about every other year that a female red colobus will give birth. And so when we talk about trying to get the numbers up, it's it's a gradual process. They're not it's not like they're having babies all the time. It's 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 a lot of care and protection that goes into keeping young colobus monkeys alive. And typically young red colobus monkeys mature anywhere from 18 months to 24 months in age, which and that's when they might immigrate to another group and and start their life with with another with another family. Well, and you know, it, it it's when you think of them being hunted, right? So every other year, there's not that many of them. It, it it's not sustainable with you know 1500 zanzibar red colobus or some of these other species that are are on the brink of extinction and then chimpanzees chase them down right yes and so i mean those little those little infant red colobus have to stay alive to even get to sexual maturity and then they have to find a new troop to join and then basically acquire breeding rights at you know especially if they're a male uh, and that new troop and and the predation along the way is can be a real major factor of selection and these decrease in numbers on red colobus. And you talked, of course, in detail about predation by humans in the mm-hmm. bushmeat trade. But another another source is actually chimpanzees. Uh, they really attack red colobus, especially young ones. In fact, there was a study at Gombe National Park in Tanzania that estimated the Gombe chips kill up to 100 colobus monkeys a year, which, depending on the numbers, is about a fifth of their population within that territory. And there was another study in Kimbali National Park, and that has one of the bigger populations of remaining chimpanzees. 
that estimates between that estimates um, the chimpanzees were responsible for about up to ten percent of the red colobus death in one year. Mm-hmm. So it, I mean, they definitely yeah. yeah they definitely have other primate species coming after them. Mm-hmm. So it is important that those little infants stick stick by their mom's side, and that us humans help make sure that there's plenty of forest for them and pre plenty of protection for them in the forest that they live in. Yeah. No, it is. And yeah, like one of the, the species I, I mentioned earlier was Miss Waldron's red colobus. And I found this one interesting. It it was thought to be extinct in the last time they saw them was the 1970s. A study in the 1990s for seven years, they tried to find them and they couldn't. Uh, so they were declared extinct around 2000, but now new evidence suggests that there is a very small number of them left in the southeast corner of the Ivory Coast. So one of the 18 species that, like the Zanzibar, uh, really, really in peril. So organizations, there's a bunch of them. I know Rewild was one that I mentioned earlier, but what's the one that you wanted to highlight this week? Well, there's actually a couple of them, I think, that are really, really worth noting. As you mentioned, Rewild, for sure, you can check them out at www.rewild.org as they are making a huge impact helping Africa's most threatened non-ape primate. Um, Also, I wanted to give a shout out to the Wildlife Conservation Society. They, as far as the red, as far as the Zanzibar red colobus goes, they have been making strides uh, doing boots on the ground type field work, more about their behavior, how how many of them are left, how to help protect them, working with the locals to help stop the bushmeat trade, to help keep the area protected and get people excited about this super unique primate that is endangered on their island. And so uh, always a big shout out to the Wildlife Conservation Society. And then lastly, uh, a lot of my show notes and just in general, a great educational reference is the New England Primate Conservancy. They can be found at neprimateconservancy.org. And their belief is that education is at the heart of animal protection. And they have a brilliant informational page about every species of primate for the most part and what you can do for animals in the environment. Uh, they talk about personal choices that people can make everywhere they live. You don't have to just necessarily live in Africa um, or Tanzania to save the red colobus. Uh, there's things you can do at home wherever you live. They talk about using social media as a key to helping impact uh, several primate species that are in crisis. And they also talk about even things you can do in your local community to help primates out. And so I just love that website. So check out New England Primate Conservancy at neprimateconservancy.org or follow them on social media and they're, uh, it's just a great educational web- website. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, conservation tip of the week, it's like go to Africa if you can. But, you know, that's a big ask for for a lot of our listeners around the world. But one thing you do is support local ecotourism, find something in your own backyard. Again, we're finding out with the data that that it, it conservation starting local so take care of your local species and then we're able to to build these communities around the planet i will get to that part of africa it is on my bucket list i don't know when but i will Uh, but in the meantime you know i'm down here in new zealand doing what i can 
for our birds here and our native wildlife. So I would ask everybody listening, do that in your own backyards. Yeah. And depending on your local um, AZA accredited zoo here in the United States, a lot of times you can help get involved with some of their campaigns. And I want to give a big shout out to the North Carolina Zoo. Uh, They have an amazing program uh, to help Red Colbus called the Red Colbus Conservation Action Plan, uh, which is supported by the Red Colbus Network. And uh, they, I mean, do all sorts of smaller campaigns locally at their zoo to help raise money to protect the researchers that are on the ground in Africa, working to save and fighting hard for a red colobus conservation. So that's another great way that um, zoos can get involved to, to help save these species. So thank you, North Carolina Zoo. Yeah, no, thank you. And thank you for listening. Again, check us out uh, on Instagram, All Creatures Podcast, Facebook, our Facebook group. A bunch of great conversations happening there. Share this podcast, you know, share it with your animal enthusiast friends, talk about it, how we can help. We have to do it together. The red colobus, again, puts a fire under me. Okay, here's a species that's really on the brink and and I, and I need to keep working hard. And Angie and I are, we have some amazing interviews coming up that we have scheduled over the next few weeks. So look for those. But again, thank you. You're a conservation hero too. You're learning, you're listening. So thank you so much. Yes, thank you, everyone. And please let a friend know about this Cinderella species, the red colobus. Uh, It is a beautiful, unique species. It is really in desperate need of our attention. So thank you for sharing and thank you for caring. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.